Good afternoon, everybody, again. Hope we all enjoyed lunch. My name is Glenn Parkinson, Canadian Club Toronto President, and your host this afternoon. Thank you. I'd like to offer a warm welcome to those of us joining online at canadianclub.org. It's good to have you on as a virtual participant. Our impressive lineup of events this season um, wouldn't be possible without our sponsor support, and we've got a few different sponsors that I'd like to recognize. First off, I'd like to thank our season sponsor, Canadian Bankers Association, and our official airline partner back again this year, Air Canada. Thank you for your support. And today's event sponsor is Bruce Power. And Fortis is our streaming sponsor, which is allowing us to provide an online feed free of charge to anybody who would like to be a part of this event. So thank you for your generous support. <laughs> Lastly, we're proud to partner again this year with Canada's Forest Trust. And th this partnership allows us to offset the carbon impact of all of our events by planting sustainable forests that they look after and protect for generations. So thank you for, to Canada's Forest Trust for Yep, thank you to them. Yep, let's do that. Because they, they plant a forest and, and on, you know, keep it in our, in our memory. So we really do appreciate the great work they do. And if you don't know Canada's Forest Trust, please look them up. It's a wonderful organization. Canadian Club Toronto regularly uh, invites young leaders to join us for our discussions. And today we've got um, two great tables. One from Toronto's, uh, the University of Toronto's Political Science Department and TMU's Leadership Lab. So these tables are sponsored by Bell and Simon Dwyer, and another table sponsored by the Canadian Club ourselves. So welcome to our young leaders, and we're really pleased to have you here. What I always enjoy, and Kathleen, who uh, works for the club too, one of our leaders, the young leaders' tables always have the best questions, and a lot of them. So we always look forward to that. And if the rest of you have questions, please refer to the center of your tables. There are question cards. If the spirit moves you during the discussion to ask a question, please jot it down and hold it up, and we'll run the questions up to the front. Um, we also, for, for those online, you'll see on the right-hand side of your screen a click to submit question button. So use that, and your questions will come to our staff here, and similarly, we'll get them to the front. And now, I'm pleased to introduce our guest speaker, our guest of honour. The Honourable Greg Rickford was first elected to Ontario Legislature as MPP Kenora, Rainy River, in 2018, and re-elected four years later. Minister Rickford's academic and professional journey has been an interesting one. So, I'd never met the minister until today, but as I looked at his um, CV, I was impressed and, uh, and I found it fascinating. So, I'm looking forward to our remarks today. Um, Minister Rickford has a diploma in nursing from Mohawk College, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Victoria, specializing in community health and nursing. He has an MBA from Laval, as well as a Bachelor's of Common Law and Civil Law from McGill University. Before his provincial political career, he represented the constituents of Kenora Riding in Ottawa. During his seven-year federal term, he served as Minister for Federal Economic Development Initiative for Northern Ontario, Minister of Natural Resources, and Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Aboriginal Affairs. At both the federal and provincial levels, Minister Rickford has served the people of Ontario and Canada by building relationships with Indigenous communities and leaders, listening and giving voice to their concerns. 
His focus has been on opportunities to create growth and prosperity in Northern Ontario. After some short remarks from the Minister, um, Minister Rickford will be joined by Rod Phillips. Mr. Phillips is a past president of Canadian Club and therefore a very special guest indeed, and a former provincial cabinet minister serving as Minister of Long-Term Care in finance and the environment. And before politics, he led Stoltwerk Canadian companies such as Chappelle FGI and OLG, along with chairing the boards of Post Media and Civic Action. Minister Rickford, the Canadian Club Toronto podium is now yours. Well, thank you for this great opportunity, and I'll start out by uh, uh, expressing my appreciation to walk among your acknowledgement of the territories that we're on uh, and your blessing. Uh, I'll proceed to my presentation, Miigwech. I'm so excited to be here today. I've been a guest uh, at this forum um, and uh, seen so many uh, speakers, and the opportunity to take the podium today is timely because there are some exciting things that I want to talk about uh, uh, with respect to Northern Ontario. Today we'll weave Northern development, uh, the idea of a new look Ontario and the opportunities with uh, our Indigenous peoples together, uh, uh, hopefully to at least uh, uh, tweak your curiosity but uh, create a greater understanding of just exactly what's going on up there. To that end, I want to start out here in downtown uh, Toronto. What do we see? What do you see when you walk around downtown Toronto? Well, let me tell you what, is, what I see as a guy from Kuwaitan, Ontario, some 22-hour drive from here, but still in our beautiful province. Well, I see more uh, electric vehicles, powered by minerals from the ground that we currently extract and have the potential to extract more of from Northern Ontario. I see people on their phones that on average contain more than 60 different minerals inside, many extracted in Northern Ontario and there's the potential for more. I see large buildings being constructed, fortified with mining products, our iron ore and steel. I see a financial district founded on forestry and mining products from Northern Ontario and a stock exchange that is the global destination for more mining IPOs than in any other exchange in the world. It's why Northern Ontarians join mining companies from around the world. We descend upon uh, Toronto for the Prospectors Developers Association Canada's conference, the largest mining conference in the world. And increasingly, I see and meet more and more people living and working in Toronto who have strong ties to Northern Ontario, either because of a connection to a cottage, a tourism destination, and increasingly business and family connections. So when I'm here in Toronto, I see Northern Ontario all around us. Now, let's start out by getting some context here. Northern Ontario is more than 800,000 square kilometers. That's roughly 88% of Ontario's total landmass. It's a landmass larger than France and Germany combined. 
We have only 6% of Ontario's population. Our largest city is a little over 100,000. And the majority of our cities, our towns, our townships, and our First Nations community are under 2,000, many of them under 1,000. When I look around Toronto, I think it's fair to say that the North is punching above its weight. And as the Minister of Northern Development and Minister of Indigenous Affairs, I couldn't be more pleased to be here today and talk about our collective opportunity that is Ontario. This impressive crowd confirms that Northern Ontario may be of central significance to the future of our promise, province. Not long ago, Canada's fiscal basket case, we're once again taking our rightful place as Canada's economic engine. So let's break down some of the things that are happening in Northern Ontario, be it in forestry, in mining, tourism, film and television. Yeah, I said film and television. I'll talk about that in a little bit agriculture, major service and delivery centers for our isolated First Nations communities. It is not just serving to stabilize Northern Ontario's economy where it would be otherwise subject to the to's and fro's of commodity markets. It now has a more stabilized economy and is ready to contribute to Ontario's prosperity writ large. Our Northern towns our First Nations uh, communities and our cities are resilient. I've seen it. I've seen towns like Fort Francis and Kiwaitan, where I live, redevelop from being the flour milling capital of Canada to a forestry powerhouse, and then watched it leave. And I've been incredibly blessed to make the observation that Northerners, in addition to their resilience, understand how to start again. And so, uh, while our towns and cities have been subject and it's on full display when a small town uh, anchor tenant or industry goes down, we have the amazing ability to remake ourselves. Now, contrast that down to southern Ontario. It's not to suggest that there haven't been economic times that have crushed cities and towns or parts of them. I grew up actually in Brantford, Ontario and watched Massey Ferguson, uh, thanks to Conrad Black at the time, uh, take two generations of my family uh, out of the factory. But in the modern day, here in Toronto especially, when commodity markets are under pressure, when things tighten up on Bay Street, for Northern Ontario that usually means an entire town has shut down. Ladies and gentlemen, the opportunity for the government of Ontario is to respond. By providing regional economic support, promoting Ontario's northern development, it's actually an acronym that we're developing in our policy shop now, to the realities on the ground and to the opportunities that are northern Ontario. In the meantime, what I want to do today is talk about some of the opportunities that some would frame as issues. It's not a word that I use. I work very closely with a number of Indigenous leaders, political and business, and challenge ourselves to look un underneath that issue and see what the opportunity is. And so that's how I choose to frame it today. Let me first start with the Ministry of Northern Development. 
Now, I struggle a little bit with the term northern development. I'm a bit uncomfortable with the phrase, well, for starters, Rod, there's no such thing as the Ministry of Southern Development. Does that mean that the 200,000 square kilometers that constitute Southern Ontario are more sophisticated and more developed? I'll let opinions run amok on that. All I know is that if I had my druthers, and who knows, we may see it, um, we would call it the Ministry of Northern Prosperity. And that's what I want to flesh out here through various policy programs and programs that we have in this ministry. I don't want to get bogged down in the discussion, but they do play important roles that are reshaping, rebuilding, and strengthening Northern Ontario communities, including, and very much so, First Nations communities across the North. Let's start with the Northern Ontario Resource Development Source, uh, Support Front. This was a campaign promise that gave full recognition to the fact that our, many of our towns and cities and First Nations communities are under tremendous pressure from the wear and tear of uh, uh, the business and the work of resource development. Large machinery, big trucks, critical infrastructure that bear down on sometimes fragile infrastructure. This program is designed to support other programs available through other uh, levels of government and has been very well received by communities across Northern Ontario. Let's talk about the Northern uh, Energy Advantage Program. Now this has been rebranded for some very important reasons. It's a resource to support industrial electricity consumers in Northern Ontario and create stable electricity rates by supporting a competitive electricity rate in forestry, mining, and steel production. Ladies and gentlemen, it's why Algoma Steel now has the confidence to build an electric arc furnace in Sault Ste. Marie. Clean and green steel production, fortifying the buildings that I spoke about initially here in Toronto. It's why Newmont Gold has completely converted, folks, completely converted their mine to electrification. And it's why our forestry sector is more resilient and more globally competitive than ever before. I want to talk about the Northern Ontario Heritage Fund. As its chair, this is a $100 million fund that we transformed and modernized. In my two political careers, I've never seen a more extensive consultation performed uh, for any uh, program. It is designed to support communities across Northern Ontario. It focuses on developing talent, expanding small businesses, attracting new businesses to the North, increasing our, invis our visibility in emerging sectors, especially the supply chain. It focuses on developing talent, expanding small businesses, uh, attracting new businesses to the north, and, and uh, if I could just briefly mention uh, our internship program. With a, more than an 85% retention rate, we've split it out to encourage and support First Nations young people in access points to different businesses, regulatory processes, and industry, and it's had tremendous success. The Northern Highway Program, of course, 
is also through my uh, Northern Develop Development Ministry. We administer Northern Highway program funding to the tune of nearly three quarters of a billion dollars. Now up north, folks, we sort of have three, maybe four kinds or tiers of roads. We have the Trans-Canada. We have secondary provincial highways, winter road networks that are vital links associated with communities that are remote, more than 32 First Nations communities, including Moosonee. They are also critical to access in the forestry and mining uh, sector. I'll start with the twinning of the highway. You know, we had one job, folks. We had one highway to build across this country. President Eisenhower, he understood it. In a post-World War II era, the soldiers and men and women came home and they built one of the most incredible twinned highway networks north and south, east and west across their country and it's the single biggest reason why they became uh, the world's economic uh, powerhouse. It's taken us a while but for anybody who passes through Kenora Rainy River and Treaty 3 lands you'll see a twinned highway, Jason, well underway. In fact, it's attracting a lot of attention. Uh, my, uh, my good friend, um, Wab Canoe, the new Premier of Manitoba, and how proud are we of that and his achievement. Uh, and I communicated. Uh, I wished him well. Uh, he's originally from uh, Treaty 3 in my uh, riding, and his response was, I really like what's going on and how it's being done across there. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's being led and built by First Nations owned and operated businesses. What an incredible success uh, story. I also want to talk about Northern agriculture. Now this may make you a little bit curious, but you'd be surprised that the three biggest areas for uh, agricultural growth in, in the province of Ontario is actually in Northern Ontario. The Clay Belt, Temiskaming Cochrane, Thunder Bay and the surrounding region, and of course, the Fort Francis Rainy River District, where the prairies actually uh, begin. All that's holding us back, of course, are tile drainage projects to deal with some of the harsher realities of winter. Tile drainage removes excess subsurface water to allow airflow to the soil. Our arable lands are the reason why in Stratton, Ontario, out there in the Rainy River District, has a $10 million a year cattle sales barn. And some of the biggest grain elevators for transportation through Minnesota, Manitoba, and into the central uh, U.S. corridor and east across Ontario. It's a tremendous opportunity that we have here it will only continue to grow. We're now seeing farming that's being squeezed out of, for example, the Holland Marsh. These are vegetable producers. 20% of our vegetables produced in uh, uh, southern Ontario, headquartering now in Temiskaming Cochrane. And this is just going to get uh, better. I want to touch on quality of life. I was sitting beside Andre, who put the question to me yesterday, uh, at, the, um, at the Mining Association. But importantly, folks, mining companies, forestry less so because many of them have been there for 100 years or so and built those towns, are making critical choices. Do we set up a mining camp? Our friends in Alberta have gone through that journey already with in situ. Do we build out Fort McMurray? Do we have hybrids? We have a responsibility for the quality of life to attract as many families as we can. We understand that mining construction 
requires a lot more people than uh, uh, a sustained mining operation over the course of time. So it's not our intention to build it out so big, but it is our intention, ladies and gentlemen, to ensure that our arenas are in tip-top shape. This isn't just where we play hockey. It's not just where we curl. The Legion is not just a gathering place to remember our veterans. These are where weddings take place. These are where memorial services take place. These are where community events happen. And so it's important that the Northern Ontario Heritage Fund is there to support them. We have a number of exciting examples. Recently, I did a tour across northeastern Ontario. And whether it's twinning swing bridges or fixing roofs on arenas, it's just great to see the people of Northern Ontario and, and those pickleballers too. They're kind of a new aggressive bunch that have moved into the space and we're accommodating them. Let me pivot quickly uh, to perhaps the most important aspect of, uh, of the work that I do. It's a bit personal. In my capacity as the Minister of Indigenous Affairs, we have several programs. Importantly, we have a Premier who understands what the opportunity is here. We recently worked with the Chiefs of Ontario to finance uh, an economic development initiative. Uh, we work with the Ontario First Nations Economic Developers Association to build capacity in communities for economic development officers. But this, uh, the profile of this uh, program is exciting. It's spending time and resources looking at supply chains and where indigenous businesses currently and prospective ones can thrive. We've moved forward on resource revenue sharing agreements with indigenous communities, six agreements representing 40 First Nations communities and two organizations representing Métis communities. There are two key priorities for these agreements. The ability to derive uh, royalties from stumpage fees and mining royalties is not just the right thing to do, but it is providing economic tools for those communities. And it is also integrating First Nations communities and their leadership in the business of managing for a responsible resource development in Northern Ontario. I want to talk a little bit about uh, consensus. In 2000, this is very important, in 2018 when I became the Minister of Energy, Northern Development, Mines, Minister of Indigenous Affairs, uh, my goodness, uh, we made a commitment to First Nations that we would employ a different approach. Gone were the days of frameworks, of processes that would pit chiefs and communities against each other, at least provincially. We charted a new path that empowers communities to make their own decisions and engage with Ontario on a nation-to-nation -nation basis built on consensus. Shining examples of these include electricity corridors like Wate Power, Fortis is here today. We acted swiftly to electrify the communities, 17 of them in fact, many of them I'd worked as a nurse, a nurse in, in northwestern Ontario. Con consensus is the reason we took the unprecedented step of intervening at the Ontario Energy Board on the East-West High transmission project, which is now viewed as a success story for First Nations partners, industry, and First Nations workers. We have settled more land and flood claims and treaty uh, settlements in the past five years than the previous 15 years. 
Now, for these communities, it is an additional powerful economic tool, but it is also reconciliation in action. It is reconciliation. These can be handled through the course. We can make a choice. Some of them go through specified claims. But settling them means the world to those communities, and it provides them with the capacity on the ground to build out the kind of infrastructure, social, health, and critical in infrastructure in their communities for a brighter future. I want to talk a little bit about the Matawa communities in the central part of northern Ontario. The Ring of Fire, as it's been spoken of, are critical minerals across Northern Ontario is exquisite in quantity and quality. And Ontario stands to serve up to the world the single largest environmental policy ever pursued by a sub-sovereign government, the electrification of vehicles and battery storage. However, the opportunity is not necessarily in the ground, it's on the ground, because the opportunity is to improve the health and social and economic uh, future of Indigenous peoples. This is something that I have referred to by way of example is the corridor to prosperity in the communities in the central part of Northern Ontario. They're currently on diesel generation. They have brittle infrastructure and broadband that's difficult and expensive. Focusing on consensus and common interests helps set and establish a dialogue that can include and be far more accommodating for resource projects uh, down the road or in their immediacy. This is where the opportunity rests. I want to finish with a snapshot of a community, uh, a municipality, the largest in Ontario, uh, surrounded by a number of First Nations communities. It's Greenstone, otherwise known as Geraldton. The Premier and I were up there just a couple of weeks ago. Now they've got an incredible uh, open pit gold mine uh, onboarding and ready uh, uh, for production next spring. But folks, the housing requirements, the retail and commercial capacity is now going to be the face of full partnerships with indigenous owned and operated businesses. This is a new center of gravity, the baseline into the ring of fire, and it represents an opportunity to get energy corridors right, to make sure that Northern Ontario moving forward has the full partnership and participation of its municipalities, big and small, and its indigenous communities. Our skilled workforce, we love Newfoundlanders, and if you want to get to Thunder Bay right now, you better book a ticket a couple weeks in advance, because a lot of those folks are coming up to work in our minds. That can continue, it's part of a reality. But at the end of the day, there has been historically an untapped workforce and we are pouring significant resources into First Nations training, young people, reconciling First Nations guys and girls that I grew up with, who built schools, who built uh, energy infrastructure, and who have skills that we are now tracking for Red Seal certification. This ties into the critical mineral subject, and many of my colleagues have talked about it. The fact is the North uh, is on the brink of a major economic boom. We have a choice, ladies and gentlemen. We can get our critical minerals from China and Russia and increasingly Indonesia and the relationships therein. 
questionable labor and environmental standards to say the least. Northern Ontario has the full attention of the President of the United States. When he said our critical minerals, he couldn't have been talking about the United States. I think the state of Washington or Oregon has a few small-scale deposits. But it's actually Canada, and more specifically Northern Ontario, that can get this right, get it done, and offer the world this incredible opportunity. By my own admission, the province of Ontario has to be able to match its investments that it's making in southern Ontario, especially in manufacturing, to ensure we get this right. That processing lithium or palladium, for example, which is mined just outside of Thunder Bay, uh, but processed in Norway, is done right here at home. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard the political shticks. Northern Ontario is open for business. Ontario stands to offer up the world so many incredible opportunities, but more importantly, to contribute to the environmental policies that the entire world has put its full attention to. We intend to do this with the highest levels of participation by our First Nations communities. That's the choice that we are making, and that's the choice that we are putting in to action, into reconciliation. So I want to thank you for this opportunity today. I'm truly humbled to speak about Northern Ontario. There's nothing 20 or 22 minutes that my Chief of Staff is telling me I'm at right now and Rod's leg is starting to twitch because he wants to ask me his questions. But sometimes I just can't be stopped, folks, because you've taken time out of your day today to listen to a vast region that is as much a part of the province of Ontario as any other region. And I'm just proud to be from there and a part of it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Greg Rickford. I'm the member of Provincial Parliament for the Great Kenora Rainy River Riding. It's a privilege and an honour to serve my constituents and as the Minister of Northern Development and the Minister of Indigenous Affairs to serve you too. Thank you for this opportunity. It's um, reassuring that the minister still notices when my leg twitches. <laughs> when I, uh, we met each other uh, in the way, and uh, Premier Kenny will appreciate this, uh, when, uh, when I was first a rookie in the legislature, your seatmate is a very important thing. So the person you sit beside, you, you rely on them for a lot of, uh, a lot of their um, you know, advice. And so I was sitting beside you know, this guy who, you know, aside from all the education, you know, being vastly overeducated, uh, you know, seven years as a nurse in remote uh, First Nations communities uh, in law, I'm going to ask him about the, the recent decision. In fact, I'm going to lead with that, the recent decision around uh, the assessment, uh, the federal environmental assessment. But he and another friend of all of ours, Sonia Savage, uh, wrote the original uh, brief that led in many ways to that decision. So why don't I jump right into that question? Mm -hmm. uh, Greg, there's a lot of complexity with, uh, with the actual building of things and getting things done. I know that's what the Premier and the government committed to. This recent decision is a, is a big deal. You were a part of that initial, the intellectual framework that led the Supreme Court to where it got to, but, but what does it mean uh, to things going forward? Well, there are other champions in this room, and, and I think there was a victory in there. We're sifting through it right now, and, and uh, just yesterday, my colleague, the Attorney General, 
um, is going to stress test the Supreme Court's uh, reference question by identifying specific projects uh, and testing what the Supreme Court said uh, in, in an effort to uh, render the entire impact assessment uh, of no effect. We're not sure we're there yet. Uh, but it is a victory, and it's a victory on a couple of levels, Rod, just very briefly. Um, the impact assessment, of course, was an instrument that the federal government could use that in many uh, respects complicated our ability as the Crown to work effectively with First Nations communities. On either side of the debate about a given resource or critical infrastructure uh, project, the layering of impact and environmental assessments, of course, creates uncertainty and significant delays. But the analysis doesn't end there. Um, unfortunately, uh, other policy instruments that the federal government has unilaterally brought forward come in the form of things like the Indigenous uh, Protective Conservation Act. Now, uh, underpinning that, especially speaking uh, with Indigenous leaders quite, uh, quite uh, recently about it, um, they have, as we do, an interest in protecting uh, these lands, the James Bay Lowlands, northwestern Ontario uh, on Treaty 3 lands. But the interests of one community uh, overlapping or being contrary to the others, especially when it comes to First Nations communities, out in Treaty 3 you have Misun Midagog. They do an incredible job of deriving loyalties, as I mentioned in my speech, but also uh, helping to manage those resources. We have a new conservation authority proposal that's to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars by the federal government and other interests uh, want to protect uh, swaths of land in, in the order of a couple hundred thousand kilometers. Now I'm working effectively with the First Nations communities uh, who are in within that area and I think we'll work out work something out but the point of it is is that this is another example of uh, the federal government inserting itself on territory or provincial crown lands, squarely. Section 91 and 92, they couldn't be clearer. And it, again, it has complicated Ontario's ability to have effective and meaningful um, discussions with communities on either side, as I said earlier, of, of uh, resource or legacy infrastructure. Um, uh, projects. Finally, and of course, free prior and informed consent. Uh, no engagement whatsoever with the provinces and territories. A recent judgment in British Columbia has put their own uh, law in, into question. Uh, but again, um, I talked about consensus, Rod. I talked about acknowledging the interests and balancing them with Indigenous communities. And when we get right down to it, when we talk about legacy infrastructure, we talk about resource projects, I can't think of a, a First Nations leader who's actually opposed to them. There are a number of opportunities that they require to support them. And I couldn't be more proud, Jason's here today, a dear friend of mine and former colleague. His work uh, um, is, is going to manifest itself, if it hasn't already, in so many ways. But the Indigenous Opportunities Fund, frankly, dealt with a structural barrier um, that Indigenous communities had. In, and in the context of regulatory frameworks imposed on us by the federal government, it strengthened and inspired uh, First Nations communities and or their businesses to move ahead with provinces and territories. We think that's a good idea, and we think we should be able to do that. 
So you make the case uh, with a lot of passion and a lot of information and a lot of insight around around the opportunity. And you know, I know you spend time speaking to businesses. You mentioned Mining Association yesterday. So, so put in a nutshell for us that case, I guess the business case, for how the combination of, of the opportunities that are inherent in the North and the requirement and the opportunities of, of engagement of Indigenous communities, how, that, how does that equal how does that, how does that, you know, you started on it here. I thought, you, how does that matter to the rest of the country um, in a way that will engage the rest of the country like I know you need to? Well, look, here's the business case, folks. Uh, it's not wise to proceed with any major project in any part of this province without First Nations ownership and equity. I know that there's a vast array of uh, for some of my First Nations friends are here that own and operate businesses. We have, uh, I mentioned Jason, there are other companies here uh, that do great work, but there's really kind of two big opportunities uh, there, uh, Rod, uh, and that is to have them involved on the front end of some major projects where profitability is a, is a ways off, kind of shifts the paradigm from some of the um, payoff or payments to a risk and reward perspective that incentivizes, inspires, it mobilizes workforces, it gives voice to the people, to the members of First Nations communities to have more effective dialogue with their leadership and, uh, and join uh, industry and, and participate in, in projects in, in every sense of the word. And of course, there's the here and now. Right, the, the projects that currently exist. I think Enbridge is here today, uh, but the um, rocket project, again, out in Alberta. Geez, I'm talking Alberta up here today, uh, uh, Jason. Um, you know, bringing in that equity position on an active project right now where the profits or the revenue streams are very real to them. Man, you know, as I like to say, I think I quoted Joe Biden, God help me on this, but you got to get with the times, folks. If you're in banking or equity firms or law firms, this isn't about taking sides. It's about representing clients who want to have a conversation to put something together that's meaningful and represents the collective interests and the opportunity of First Nations owned and operated businesses, your businesses, uh, and uh, the municipalities, and by extension, the province of Ontario as primary benefactors. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Uh, a bit more advice at the personal level. For those who want to engage, um, it's not always easy. Mm -hmm. the, um, for people coming from white society, the history is complicated, um, and, and you do this very well, because I've done it with you. Thank In you. fact, I walked. He doesn't with you. compliment me very I well. Yeah. Way, folks, <laughs> I, but so, so what's your advice in terms of that conversation? Because even some of the terminology and the, the words mean things a lot, yeah. and history means a lot. But as people want to move forward, how do you advise the rest of Ontario to work effectively and to get comfortable doing that, so that they can do all the things that we agree is are necessary? I would say probably two things. I could say a lot more, as you know, Rod, but, but the, the lead points would be understand reconciliation in action. Take stock of what the opportunity is. And I think the second point, and I'm being very brief here, but, but I, I, I would say just pick up the phone and make the call, right? If we understand 
the level of optimism that doesn't play out very much in the media, by the way. It's changing. Uh, First Nations leaders, political and businesses, are speaking out, and now mainstream media is giving them a voice, and I appreciate that, uh, their persistence. But um, at the end of the day, you know, we have to do it as the Crown. We have a duty to consult. There is, as a matter of law and good policy, uh, the duty to accommodate where projects grow out and have uh, potentially greater impacts. And I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean it in the opportunity and benefits uh, through a benefits lens. But at the end of the day, I, I've, I've been struck by the high level of receptivity and the role of the government in all of this. If you take a look at our Indigenous Economic Development Fund, elements of it are a trial balloon to what, they, uh, to what Premier Kennedy uh, did as he was then uh, to knock down one of the bigger barriers, and that's access to capital. It's not always something easy that banks uh, can do. Let me give you micro examples. You know, I talked about Greenstone. The mine life is, is listed, I think, it, Michael, it's about 15 years. It's likely to go longer, but banks don't give mortgages um, uh, uh, for 15-year timelines for a mine. So those workers and families, well, we've got First Nations communities who've, who are a vital part of the business operations at Greenstone Gold, the energy corridors that are being created to support them, and the retail and commercial capacity um, that, as I referred to earlier, represents a new center of gravity for mining. Nothing against amazing Sudbury for some of our friends that are here from that city, uh, Rod, but we've got a tremendous opportunity when, when we supply 40% um, uh, of the nickel. We're second to British Columbia in copper. Uh, we produce the most gold of any jurisdiction uh, in Canada. And in my view, and as far as I know, uh, have the highest level of First Nations participation in the businesses that support it. But the bar is way too low, and we need to collectively elevate it, move forward, and just get better at it. So we have just this last question, not time for one more question. So I'm going to ask you to, and you did this in your speech, take us back up to the, the higher level in terms of the government strategy around how, how what you've talked about fits into what you and Premier Ford and the rest of the government are trying to do around the broader vision. You know, it's the EVs. These, this is an integrated vision around how these pieces fit together. Yeah, I mean, it's a single, in the context of, of you know, critical minerals and uh, battery storage and, and electric, uh, electric vehicles, what have you, it's our single biggest challenge and it's our single biggest opportunity. And the Premier has made it um, completely clear that this is not a Northern Ontario um, piece any more than it's uh, Southern Ontario. Our relationships with Indigenous communities in energy corridors in Southwestern Ontario and other businesses I've, I've already spoke about help us make sense of the concept of moving uh, from the earth to electric vehicles and from mines to motors. Uh, we don't want to process palladium in Norway. Uh, Germany, um, highly specialized in, in processing lithium, is actually very serious and jingling more than change in their pockets to set up processing capacity in Northern Ontario. And until we get there, Rod, our manufacturing capacity in Southern Ontario can be what it once was just different in the context of electric vehicle and battery storage. But they have to be 
uh, in order to optimize characterized by two things. A deep appreciation and an understanding of the challenge and opportunity um, that's required to ensure that Northern Ontario is more than a commodity community or communities uh, and that First Nations are an integral part of that. And I think we've demonstrated uh, through our Crown Corporations in electricity, the different program instruments that we enact, and I should say the businesses, many of them here today, uh, desire to work um, in 50-50 in or majority-minority shareholder uh, compositions uh, with uh, First Nations owned and operated businesses. Um, and, and we got a chance. Wonderful. Wilson, thank you very much for the comments. Thank you. I appreciate it. Just, thanks, Rob. Just, Glenn, um, One thing I always like to offer, it's kind of Doug Fordish, but I'll, I'll give my cell phone out um, to you. It's 807-633-4795. Uh, um, one of the things that I like to do, and I know my colleague Peter Bethlenfalvi uh, does it, as do some of my other colleagues, I've been, been at it for, for quite a while, is if your firm or your company has an interest in fleshing out some of the subject matter that we just briefly talked about, um, today, I'm happy to come into your place of work. It's particularly effective to talk to young uh, associates um, and, uh, and senior partners end up saying, what's going on in there? I think I'm going to go in there too and uh, understand what the government's trying to do and uh, I make myself available uh, uh, to you for that. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. That was Thank you, Minister Rickford, both for your um, educational talk, but also the, the, your passion. I know I took away a lot and, and learned a lot, and um, highlighting the opportunity and, in fact, the business case for, uh, for the North and why we should all be excited and doing our best to, to support you and, and, the, and the opportunities. What, what I was particularly moved by was your use of the word consensus, because I do think that really has that, that implies agreement and leaves a lot fewer escape hatches than other words like involvement or collaboration or, or consultation. I think, I think consensus is the word to anchor on and you know, the true potential of the North can only be gotten through the consensus and partnership with First Nations. So I really do appreciate the message and thank you again for taking time to be with us today. And Rod, thank you again for joining us and leading us through a wonderful discussion and uh, great to have a former president back with us again. Now, members and guests, we conclude today's event, but I, before we leave, I wanna let you know about two more upcoming events that we have, invite you to join us for those, either in person or online. On Tuesday, November 7th, um, the minister's colleague, Honorable Peter Bethenfalvi will be here as Ontario Finance Minister and at our podium. And then on November the 14th, we welcome Pierre-Carl Pelladeau, President and CEO of Quebecor, to the podium. Please visit our website, canadianclub.org, for more information. Let me conclude by thanking our AV sponsor, VVC Live, for consistently incredible event support from an AV standpoint. And to everybody here and online, thank you for joining us and enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Bye now.